Welcome to the Hollywood vs. Hollywood podcast. I am your host, HT, joining you with my co-host, the Bayheart himself, Michael Herbert. Happy to be here. Today, we're going to talk about twin movies that basically suggest that all mall security personnel are kind of weird. I don't know if I agree with that. What do you think? That's a very broad question to open with. There aren't many malls left, so I don't know how many mall security personnel there are. The ones I've come across, they're, they're okay. They don't seem too weird to me. You get approached by mall security a lot? Today on the Hollywood versus Hollywood podcast, we're talking about Observe and Report versus Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Let's start with Observe and Report. Play the trailer, Michael. I believe every man has a path laid out before him. My path is a righteous one. I've been chosen to be the protector. Please don't tase me, man. The world has no use for another scared man. The world needs a hero. <laughs> Michael, what is Observe and Report about? Oof. Observe and Report is about a man in his 20s, mid, mid to late 20s, who has some uh, mental health uh, issues, uh, and he's going to try and deal with those while dealing with issues of crime and safety at the mall. What is the audience score for Observe and Report? Oh, we're going to di- dig into the facts. Observe and Report rated R. Uh, has a running time of one hour and 26 minutes, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 51%, with an audience score of 37%, and it's got a 2.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Letterboxd. Great great new site. I haven't checked it out yet. So you know it's great. Well, I know that you always pick premium quality stuff, so I'm sure it's awesome. That's nice. That's a nice compliment. Our second contender is Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Play the trailer, Michael. He's always been dedicated. Paul Blart. Mall cop. To protecting the West Orange Pavilion Mall. Nobody knows this mall better than I do. Who is this guy? Blart. 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 Peanut Blart and Jelly. What? What? Safety never takes a holiday. Kevin James is Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Oh, dear God. (laughs) What is Paul Blart, Mall Cop about? Paul Blart, Mall Cop is about a single father who has some issues with weight, who also deals with issues of crime and safety at the mall. And uh, what is the audience score for Paul Blart, Mall Cop? Paul Blart, Mall Cop, is rated PG, has a running time of 1 hour and 31 minutes, uh, has a Rotten Tomato score of 34%, with an audience score of 43%, and uh, 2.3 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Both are really well-done comedy movies. What are some of your favorite comedy movies from the 2000s? Can't spring that on me. Speak from the heart. I prepared for favorite law enforcement comedies because... uh, Specifically law enforcement comedies. But not necessarily from the 2000s. So I can give you a a quick list. Beverly Hills Cop, 48 Hours, Lethal Weapon, Police Academy. Were the Police Academy movies part of your youth? Yeah, Police Academy and uh, there were a couple others, yeah. And those movies have aged really poorly. Super Troopers, Bad Boys, The Other Guys, The Nice Guys. You're a Nice Guys fan. I love Nice Guys. I really enjoy Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan Gosling's performance in that movie. And then I'd say The Naked Gun is worth revisiting. Hot Fuzz is an all-time favorite for me. You're a big Edgar Wright fan. I am. And, you know, he's really good at music and you're a a great music fan, so I think... You guys gel. I I just I have terrible taste in music. I, what are you talking about? I, I do. I if I if I was to show you my like last ten played songs on Spotify, we would both die of embarrassment. And I wanted to do a special shout out to Reno nine one one. 
The movie or the show? The show. In our like culture of rehashing like short clips of things, it's rare that a week goes by that I don't see one of the dash cam stops, the traffic stops from Reno 911. Tom Lennon and the crew, just consistently hilarious. And I think about that show very fondly. Yeah, I was a big fan of it when it was airing. So you prepared comedies of the 2000s. What did you have written down? Top of my list, Tropic Thunder. I love that movie. I know some aspects of it haven't aged well, but you know what? I'm a child of the 90s and I'm able to accept those things without feeling like anybody's uh, safe zone is being breached. And then uh, honorable mention to Step Brothers, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Zoolander, the first Borat. You already mentioned Super Troopers, which I love. And I wanted to ask you, does the movie Snatch count as a comedy? Yeah, that's a comedy. Yeah, so Snatch is up there for me. A few that stick out to me are Meet the Parents. Oh, that's a good one. Still really funny. Wasn't, um, that, wasn't that like late 90s, though? 2000, on the dot. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite? Uh, uh, speaking of comedy, Grand Budapest. I was going to say, what, what Wes Anderson movies came out in, in tw- 2000s? Are you a Wes Anderson fan? I like his more recent work than his older work. I feel like I'm, I'm the opposite. And I really, really like Grand Budapest and French Dispatch. I know you're a big French Dispatch fan. I love French Dispatch. But I just, I don't think it gets better than Rushmore. But then, uh, you know, the second that that comes out of my mouth, I'm like, Royal Tenenbaums is better. Royal Tenenbaums is, is the first Wes Anderson movie that really knocked my socks off. He's uh, one of the most unique voices in cinema. Well, let's, let's get to the movies that we have in front of us. Are you ready to put these two comedy movies, Observe and Report and Paul Blart, Mall Cop, against each other? Sure. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou came out in 2000. That's a killer movie. Women will be harassed. Indian people will be poorly represented. Mexican immigrants will be villainized. But only one movie can be crowned a true Hollywood champion in the Hollywood vs. Hollywood podcast. They don't make them like they used to. It's taken us to episode eight for you to say something so totally indefensible that I'm near speechless. Two-factor authentication, mofo. We have a very simple process. Each movie will compete in 19 categories, and it will be granted a point if it wins the category. In the end, whichever movie has the most total points wins this episode of the Hollywood vs. Hollywood podcast. The other movie gets taken off its medication. (laughs) These intros are such a a window into the way that you see the world. Michael and I are also each allowed the ace up the sleeve card. Michael, what is the ace up the sleeve card? The ace up the sleeve card brings an end to the debate in any particular category. So if HT feels strongly that uh, one of the two movies should get the point, or I I feel strongly that one of the movies should get the point, we can pull the ace up our sleeve, bring an end to the debate, and, and give the point to the movie that we think deserves it. Let's jump into it. Category one. Which movie won the release date? Observe and Report was released on April 10, 2009. Paul Blart, Mall Cop, was released on January 16, 2009. Tell me, Michael, which of these movies got to the theaters first? Sounds like this was the quickest that Paul Blart has moved and got to the movies before Observe and Report. Are you fat shaming Mr. James? <sighs> I am. I was going to say no, but I guess I guess I am. And you know what? I love Kevin James. His, please, please, this, let's not fat shame, man. out of shapeness is key to the comedy of his character. All right, all right. Uh, uh, point Paul Blart, Mall Cop, put it on the board. Category two. Which movie won the box office? 
Observe and Report, whose budget was $18 million, it grossed $27 million worldwide. Paul Blart, Mall Cop, whose budget was $26 million, it grossed $183.3 million wow. worldwide. The Hangover, which came out in June 2009, made $469 million. That's a hit. The highest grossing comedy that year. Between Observe and Report and Paul Blart, Mall Cop, which movie had a better Black Friday sale, Michael? Paul Blart here is taking a, an early lead. Category three. Which movie has the better title? We have Observe and Report and we have Paul Blart, Mall Cop. What do you think? I feel like both titles are reflective of the type of films they are. I feel like they reflect the conversation that you and I have been having over the last couple of weeks about whether or not a title should kind of arm you or prepare you with knowledge about the type of film you're going to see, or should it intrigue you and try and interest you in, in seeing the film? And I feel like I got to go with my gut this time and say that Observe and Report is a more in, intriguing title and probably more reflective of my taste. Okay, I think Paul Blart, Mall Cop is the better title. First of all, it has Mall Cop in the title which is what both of these movies are really about. Uh, second, Paul Blart is kind of a perfect-sounding name for this type of character. It's a really good name for the character. In fact, uh, Ronnie's uh, last name is... Uh, what is it? What is his last name? Barnhart. Barnhart. It's very Blart-like in the way it sounds. <laughs> Observe and report, strong title, but it also doesn't really scream mall cop. It screams more law enforcement than it does mall cop. In Germany, the title was changed because of the negative connotations that it has, you know, in terms of German people observing and reporting things because it did not work out for a large population in the 40s. So I vote Paul Plart, Mall Cop. Have I swayed you? You have. Uh, well, I'm glad I was able to convince you. Point, Paul Plart, Mall Cop. I used to be so much more combative in life. Yeah, I, you know, I think the, the legal weed is working out for everybody in town. Uh, there is a dispensary not very far from my house. So. I mean, I was chucking it up to personal growth. Category four. Which movie has the better leading actor? Both movies have really funny leading men. Seth Rogen is a staple in American comedy. He's been in many famous movies. Like, did you know he was in Donnie Darko? Yeah, because I read the Wikipedia. The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Superbad, Kung Fu Panda, Pineapple Express, Funny People, the movie Paul, 50-50, this is the end, Sausage Party, Disaster Artist, and recently The Fablements. Now, you saw that movie. I didn't see it. Is, does he have a big part in it? He has a sizable role in The Fablements, and I liked The Fablements a lot. I haven't watched it yet, so I hope I get to see it soon. Seth Rogen was a leading man in Knocked Up, The Green Hornet, which I love, Neighbors, another great movie, and one of my favorites, an infamous movie called The Interview. What do you think of that filmography? This movie really made me rethink my feelings about Seth Rogen. There was something on, on Reddit about Ryan Reynolds being in another movie. And the, the first comment was like, damn, Ryan, give me a chance to miss you. And I was like, oh, I feel that way about so many things. I feel like our culture says you kind of have to constantly be in the conversation, right? So you said Seth Rogen's a staple of comedy. I feel like up until the last couple of years, yeah, you couldn't get away from him. And it got to the point that seeing him was not special. Maybe seeing him in a dramatic role felt a little more special. I, I actually really liked him as uh, Steve Wozniak in Steve Jobs, which is a film I can guarantee you we'll get to on this show. 
Ashton Kutcher, better Steve Jobs or the other guy? Save it. All right, <laughs> save it. Save it for another day. Um, yeah, better than the other guy, the other guy being Michael Fassbender. I was really taken aback by Seth Rogen's performance in Observer Report. It felt so honest when I was putting together my list of best scenes. The scenes I picked out were all kind of quiet and really focused on emotion and in particular, emotion being conveyed in, in his face. I, w- I was really, really impressed by this performance. And it really single-handedly made me think I need to go see the other Rogan movies I, I haven't seen. I didn't see uh, An American Pickle, which interested me. But I was just feeling kind of sick of Seth Rogen. Yeah, Rogan is uh, traditionally a one-trick pony, if you will. Let's talk about Kevin James. Kevin James is known for the hit TV show King of Queens, which I really enjoyed that show. He's known for the movie Hitch. He's in uh, Grown Ups 1 and 2. He's the voice of Frankenstein in the Hotel Transylvania movies, which are a big hit apparently. And he did one of my favorite performances of his in Here Comes the Boom. Have you seen that one? I have not. What do you think of his uh, filmography overall? It's pretty short. I had another revelatory moment preparing for this pod. This is the first Kevin James movie that I've ever seen. Oh, are you serious? I have seen The King of Queens. I think anybody who had cable television sometime in the last 25 years has likely seen an episode of of King of Queens. And I I always thought the show was funny. Leah Remini is funny. Patton Oswalt is funny. And Jerry Stiller. If you could get me a YouTube video with every Jerry Stiller scene from The King of Queens, I'd, I'd happily sit down and watch it right now. And I would say going into this film, as we discussed in regards to the title, I kind of knew broadly what to expect, but I had a positive feeling about Kevin James. There is so little that he does in this role as Paul Blart. The comedy of the scenes just kind of bounces off him. And I'm having trouble kind of coming up with, with how to talk about it because I, I feel like so little was going on. So, you know, one of the things I was thinking about today was this aspect of the character, which I liked, which was he knows facts about things. I guess it's kind of I'm thinking about this movie through the lens of like boomer culture. The dad that sits down and falls asleep watching Shark Week, who just kind of like picks up random facts about things. And what a what a charming character trait that is in the early part of the movie. It comes up two or three times. The characters around him respond positively to it, and I think it it, it helps endear us to him. And then it goes away, and it's never mentioned again. Hmm. It plays no role in his efforts to stymie the villains of this movie. They use it to zero effect in the plot. They use it in zero effect to character development, and ends up not meaning anything. Hollywood does that a lot, and it actually really pisses me off when they do that. So uh, the Aladdin remake, I don't know if you ever saw that, but Aladdin in the Aladdin remake had... uh, The live action? The live action. You know, in the beginning, they introduced that he's really good with, like, ropes and pulleys and, like, jumping around, scaling walls and all that. And then that never plays into the rest of the movie, which was surprising because Guy Ritchie is such a great director with, you know, motion stuff and stunts and all that. So it was really weird that they established a strong thing as a character trait, which never plays into the plot uh, or the character in the rest of the movie. You know, and I know that they're capable of bringing something that's mentioned earlier in the script and, and having it pay off for us later in the script. One of the beats that I actually like in the movie 
is about the tattoos that he got the one time that he drinks. The reveal of the Loch Ness Monster tattoo, which if they invented that Loch Ness Monster like coming out, like it's like as if you had a dolphin tramp stamp and it looked like the dolphin was kind of jumping out of your pants. It's the Loch Ness Monster where his body would disappear. You, you don't see it what's below the waterline and the waterline is his pants. That's pretty clever. Uh, I thought that was pretty clever. And then, you know, he falls on the ground near the very end of the film, revealing that he has a full back tattoo. So, like, it's frustrating when you know that there was stuff left on the table. Paul Blart was never going to be Citizen Kane, but they could have done right by the character and uh, injected more character into Paul Blart throughout the film. So I I love Seth Rogen. He's a very successful writer and producer, one of the most most powerful producer, I would say, in America. Yeah? Well, one of the most successful producers. I literally have no idea how the business works. He's a very entertaining actor. He is from the Freaks and Geeks crew. He's from the Judd Apatow tribe. He's part of the American culture. He's an exciting creator. And arguably, his character, Ronnie, is one of his best performances to date. Kevin James. Very likable actor. I'm sorry that you haven't seen some of his other work. He's from the Adam Sandler, Happy Madison clan. And despite being part of that, he has his own identity outside of that. You tell me if you disagree with this. He has a certain Tom Hankishness about him. Do you feel that? No. I think he does. He has that everyman look that is easy to sympathize with. He has the heart and soul of like a good American man. He's incredibly believable as a dad, as a person who cares about mall security without being obnoxious. He makes this character that is easy to be made fun of, he makes that character kind and endearing and lovable. Put any other actor from the Happy Madison clan and the movie doesn't quite function like the way it does with Kevin James. What do you think about that? I had an English teacher once who told me that self-depreciation is one of the easiest, cheapest, and least fruitful forms of humor. I idolized this English teacher, so I I, I don't know that I'm not putting undue weight on it. Does Kevin James ever play a character whose comedy does not derive from self-depreciation about him being dumb or him being overweight? Isn't that true for like a lot of bigger bodied comedians? If this category was called the Stay in Your Lane Award, then sure, Kevin Kevin James can can get the point here. Yeah, you should also watch uh, Here Comes the Boom because I think he does something different there. Anyway, continue. The way that I regard this particular role and, you know, what I, I have seen from him on King of Queens is that being a, a character who joins in the crowd laughing at him. So we say, you know, we're not laughing at you, we're laughing with you. That's not true. They are laughing at him, and he just decides to laugh along. And it's just a little, it's just a little sad. Hmm. You know, this film conjures a way for him to be a quote-unquote hero at the end, but like barely. He kind of stumbles into uh, heroism. Whereas Seth Rogen's character, he by contrast to the other characters, is funny because he is not smart, right? And he he maybe isn't the most athletic. But he never joins in the chorus of of laughter around him. He finds pride. He finds some manner of self-realization. That's a complete character. And I was just 
really, really, really impressed with the Seth Rogen performance. I also thought um, Paul Blart, Kevin James did a lot of his own stunts. Uh, you can see like when the jumping of the fence is happening, that it's actually Kevin James jumping the fence. I mean, I did notice, I did clock that one of the few stunts that does not involve a lot of edits is the fence jump. And I was like, he really wanted people to see that he could make that fence jump. And honestly, I was impressed. It was quite the jump. He does, in fact, do a lot of his own stunts. Here Comes the Boom is a movie you must watch, I think. But uh, Seth Rogen, the part of Ronnie, was originally written for Danny McBride, a longtime collaborator. But the studio wanted Rogen because of him being more bankable. The character of Ronnie is really well written. You and I both agree. And I think Seth Rogen does a good job at it. Do you think any great comedian could have excelled in that role, especially Danny McBride? That's another hypothetical question okay. that you got to give me time to prepare for. Two more names. James I, Franco, Jonah Hill. Let's talk about them one at a time, right? Yeah. Danny McBride, I don't think, has the softness, the heart that Seth Rogen brings to this performance. James Franco is just too cool. Who's the last one you mentioned? Jonah Hill. He could do it. He could do it. So I can see like a lot of different actors stepping into this role and being able to do a great job at it. Whereas I don't feel the same way about Paul Blart. And while I'm on the thought, I also thought that, you know, in 2023, it'd be great to see the same movie with a black character. So I was thinking about Lakeith Stanfield or Donald Glover play the part. I thought those actors could also do this part and it'd be great. The lead. The lead of uh, Ronnie in... uh, Observe and report. What do you think of, you know, one of those actors? Lakeith Stanfield, I feel like he can do anything. Yeah. What about Donald Glover? Hmm. My gut is telling me no, and I'm not sure why. I like Don I like Donald Glover. A younger Kevin James? No. So I cannot see anybody else play Paul Bart uh, Paul Blart except Kevin James. And I can see like a multiple number of people play Seth Rogan's character in this movie. So the question again is who is the best leading man? Now, if you agree with me, you let, you let me know. And if you disagree with me, then, you know, let's, let's, let's talk it out a little bit more. I'm going to stand for Mr. Rogan here and pull the ace at my sleeve. I really enjoyed his performance, so I, I don't entirely disagree with you. That card pull feels very anticlimactic. I, I might have pulled it for Mr. James, but I'm, I'm glad you did, you know. I'm glad you did, and I'm not going to, I'm going to save my ace for something else later. And just so, just so you know, I don't have a favorite between these two movies. When I originally watched these two movies, I would have probably been on the Paul Blart camp. But I really enjoyed Observe and Report this time around. So you'd seen both films before watching them for this pod. Yeah, and Observe and Report was a hard watch in the past. Is it pretentious that I call it a pod instead of a podcast? No, no, that's totally cool. All right. Category five. Which movie has the best rest of the cast? I think this one's easy. Why don't you tell us? I agree. I think this is pretty easy. Uh, in Observe and Report, we've got Ray Liotta, screen legend, Anna Faris, Michael Pena, 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 Colette World. Is that her name? I have Celia Weston, uh, who plays the mother. It's Colette Wolf. Which one is Colette Wolf? The girlfriend? Nell. Oh, Nell. Yeah, she's great. She's actually uh, she got married to the director after. Oh, the she movie. is good. She's good in this movie. Uh, Jesse Plemons, fun to see a, a young Jesse Plemons. I love Jesse Plemons, and uh, our. Uh, do you know that you know this honest trailer? People call him the Discount Mad Damon. I want to say something not so nice to those people. I don't know if you're on the, in, in the same train of thought here. I like talking about things that I like. 
even in a film that I don't love. I want to talk about things that I like because it's really hard. It's hard to make a movie. It's hard to write a script. Acting is hard. Getting cast in a film is hard. It's hard to do these things. It's so easy, just like the self-depreciation thing. It is really easy to crap on everything. Um, You got me fired up here. (laughs) Well, we like Jesse Plemons. We like Jesse Plemons. Fargo season two, sick. He's good at it. Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad was his claim to fame, yeah. And then uh, did you? Oh, oh yeah, I, I was the one uh, reading the list here. Yeah, Dan, uh, Dan Bakedal. Do you have him? Yeah, uh, love him in Veep, uh, and Danny McBride and, and Patton Oswalt with small parts. You forgot Aziz Ansari, man. My man Aziz. I did. I forgot Aziz. Patton Oswalt, I thought was great in this movie. Paul Blart has Adam Ferrara, Bobby Cannavale, 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 and I really don't know the rest of the cast. I did want to mention a few people. Alan Covert, he's one of those like Happy Madison guys. He is important to me because he plays Kenny the cameraman in Heavyweights. Do you know Heavyweights? Nope. Okay. I was going to say like if I watch Here Comes the Boom, you watch Heavyweights, but I refuse to ma- I refuse to make my own deal. Um, he's the ca- I'll watch Heavyweights if you watch Here Comes the Boom. I won't. Uh, but you should still. Okay. Um, he's the caddy in Happy Gilmore. Okay. Are you a Happy Gilmore fan? Uh, I have, uh, you know, I haven't seen it in a long time. All right, do yourself a favor. One other thing I was thinking about today was I feel like when I listen to podcasts, I think, oh man, like this guy who's, who's podcasting has seen every film. He just knows everything. I want to be honest that like you can't, you can't have seen everything, right? So, and a, and a hole in my, my filmography is Grandma's Boy. I've never seen Grandma's Boy, but I've heard great things about it. I haven't either. Whose film is that? Alan Covert, I think, is like the star of that film, and it is another like Happy Madison joint. Gotcha. gotcha. So we're going to watch that movie just to, to kind of fill that gap. Um, and I also wanted to mention uh, Eric Avari. Eric Avari is a that guy. He's, he's like one of my that guys. He plays the, the man who runs the satellite station at the very beginning of Independence Day. He wakes up and he says, uh, this better be a beautiful woman or I'm hanging up. And then he hears the alien sound on the phone and he hits his head. Um, I, I, was, uh, uh, I really like Eric Avari when watching this movie. I was upset that they did not cast an Indian guy to play an Indian guy. Uh, because, you know, this is back early 2000s. And then it turns out that he's, in fact, Indian. I, you know, I thought he was part of the Happy Madison crew. Who's, who's prejudiced now? Well, he doesn't really look uh, the typical traditional Indian look. I mean, he's, he's generally cast as Arab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of which, he runs the Cairo Museum in The Mummy. I really like him in that role, yeah. And I had one more written down. Oh, He's in Mr. Deeds. Of all the Adam Sandler movies, Mr. Deeds actually is pretty charming uh, in my mind. Are you an Adam Sandler hater? No, not at all. Okay, okay. How dare you? Your, your eyes are not clouded against the Happy Madison crew? I wanted to preface this whole show with, like, I have a cold or something. So I didn't do any of the drugs that they do in Observe and Report. But I'm on some performance enhancers here. I don't know what's in this cold medicine, but it's making me feel away. Uh, well, so I think this one's easy for me. What do you think? Which movie has the best rest of the cast? It's Observe and Report. It, it, it's a, a banger cast for a small film. And Michael Pena, man. He's awesome in it. Hilarious. 
All right, put it on the board for observe and report, Michael. Category six, the best, best scene. In this category, Michael and I agree on the scene we think is the best scene in each movie. And then we decide which movie has the best, best scene. I think this one's going to be an easy one too, Michael. But let me, let me mention a few scenes and observe and report. Hit me. I have Ray Liotta yells at Ronnie scene. I have the coke-fueled montage of Michael Pena and Ronnie that leads to them taking down the skaters in the parking lot scene. I have Michael Pena loots the vault in front of Ronnie and then escapes using the raffle car scene. I have Ray Liotta tells Ronnie that he did not get into the academy scene. I have Ronnie beats up Patton Oswald scene after Nell complains about him. Do you have any thoughts on any of the scenes? Do you want to add any scenes? I have a few other scenes, but there's just a lot of good scenes in this movie. Great scenes. This movie is filled with great scenes. I liked the early scene at the shooting range with Ronnie and the Yuen brothers, twins. I liked Ronnie's fight at the crossroads when Detective Harrison dumps him on a, a dangerous corner. It's just such a fun surprise that he like can handle himself. So, you know what? While you're bringing that scene up, the only way this movie makes sense to me, logically speaking, is that once he goes off the medication, most of the movie is happening in his head. I did not read it like that at all. Okay, next time you watch it, try to think of it like that. All I right. will watch it. I'm actually excited to watch it again. When I was watching Pulp Blar, I was like, I just wish I was watching Observer Report again. The, uh, the best part about these movies is that they're under 90 minutes long, and you know it's such a quick watch for both of them. After Tombstone and Wyatt Earp, that was like six hours of, of film to digest. So to knock out two movies in three hours felt awesome. A few other scenes that I liked, I like pretty much every scene between Ronnie and Nell. Yeah, the, the scene you mentioned, Ronnie at the police station with Harrison, when that other dude comes out of the office and he's just like, I thought that this was going to be funny. That was a great moment. It's a great moment. And I feel like it is what this film is, which is, I thought this was going to be a comedy. I thought this was going to be a funny movie about mall, I, mall cops. I thought it was going to be Paul Blart, but right. it isn't. I also have the montage of, of Ronnie and Dennis. Uh, that feels like low-hanging fruit. That might be our best scene. Again, when Ronnie tells Nell that he came there to pay for the cup of coffee, the real-world stakes of a, a movie like this. There's no asteroid coming to strike Earth. The stakes of this movie are, will Ronnie find something to do with his life that will give him some sense of, of purpose and fulfillment and not endanger the general public. It's small. His desire to have pride in himself, it's just so recognizable and identifiable and makes you sympathize with him. That moment when he's sitting there and he's like, I dragged myself out of bed because I needed to do something that helps me accept where my life has landed me. And it takes the form of paying $2 for a, a cup of coffee. I was really, really, really blown away with the effective, effectiveness of this, contrasted with my last favorite scene, which is Ronnie chasing the flasher around the mall, which is in slow motion. And this guy is, to quote Creed from The Office, just hanging brain. I don't know of another example in film, you can correct me if you can think of something, with exposed male genitalia for the length of time that, that it is on screen in this film, 
absolutely incredible filmmaking. You like that scene. Okay. It's not on, uh, on my list at all. The, the naked man running across the mall. Bold choice. Yeah, bo- bold. Yeah, sure. But best scene? I don't know. So do you want to pick one? Because it's got to go in competition with Paul Blart nominees. For a boisterous scene, uh, Ronnie and Dennis in their montage... And I think, you know, for a quiet scene, it's it's the Detective Harrison telling him that he can't be in the police academy. Which among the two do you think? Oh, if it's going to go up in competition against Paul Blart. It's got to be the montage, right? It's got to be the montage. Okay. That has a better chance. And maybe we can uh, join the vault robbing and then driving off with a I mean, car. This, this, this is a life lesson that I kind of refuse to learn because like these quiet scenes, they end up meaning the most to me. But the people love action. The people love music. People love comedy. That's why Paul Blart made $183 million. Okay. What do you have for best scenes from Paul Blart? Paul Blart, mall cop. I have Kevin James gets drunk at American Joe, which leads to him yelling, I believe in magic and crashes through a window scene. As a second scene, I have... Kevin James rescuing hostages through the ceiling, and then everyone falls down, and then Kevin James throws hot sauce at Vex eye scene. So I think I like the American Joe scene better. What do you think? I have different scenes. Tell me. The first scene in the movie, with him running on the obstacle course, actually got my hopes up, because I like to be surprised. Not that like a surprise is always great if it doesn't make sense, and we'll get to that in a moment. But it's really cool when something plays against type or someone plays against type. So to see Kevin James, who's a, he's a portly fellow, and uh, he's wearing gray sweats with sweat marks on him, and he's running this obstacle course. But he, he, he's like a ballerina. He's light on his feet. He does a backflip off of a rope swing, and then he, he passes out we learn because of hypoglycemia. And even then, I'm still on board because hypoglycemia, I I frankly don't know much about it, but that's an unusual character trait, so I was was willing to go along with it. So I had high hopes uh, during that first obstacle course scene once I settled into the actual film that we were watching, that I was watching. Paul checking for matches on his uh, dating website. I, I really enjoyed that scene, but again, I'm going with the masses here. I really like the scene that you're mentioning as well. I told you. I like a quiet scene. I like character. We get the Loch Ness Monster reveal, and he has a nice interaction with his daughter, which felt like one of the more honest interactions in in the film. And then in terms of things that I thought should have been exploited more in this movie, we get the scene with Paul Blart in the ventilation duct, which is seems to be a diehard homage, Right. No, the movie's literally Die Hard in a Mall. It isn't, but it should be. I'm going to say that again. It's not that, but it should be. If it was essentially like a naked gun version of Die Hard, this could have been amongst my favorite films. The parts of this movie that closely reference other cop films, I think, are the parts that work the best. Uh, the parts where it's striking out on its own, where he's playing rock band for some reason, are the parts that I think don't work. The Paul- I, 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 th- I think the big disconnect for you is that you are not drawn to Kevin James's charisma, and you you don't understand the love that this country has for Kevin James. I, I'm not here to speak for anybody else. All right, I'm 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 right. I'm, I'm I'm here to be my own observer, and. 
I feel like the scene where where Paul Blar is in a ventilation duct is as close as this film gets to working. Okay. I don't care which scene you pick because I like the scenes in Observe and Report more than I liked in uh, Paul Blart. All right. Then we don't need to waste any more time. All right. Uh, you know, even though I think Paul Blart is a funnier movie, Observe and Report is just a really well-written movie, which we'll get get into as we get into which movie was directed better. But let's get to the next category. Put it on the board for Observe and Report, Michael, for Best Best Scene. And you know what? You've, you've got more and more fair over time in this podcast, but... I've always been a fair uh, fair guy when it comes to objectively thinking about things. And modest. Category 7. Best title drop, which is a movie's name stated in a scene. I don't think either movie does it, so both movies don't get it. This experience has really made me question whether or not this is a category that stays with us for the long haul. So unless something changes, we, we may need to go back to the drawing board here. But, you know, then you'll get that movie that has a great title drop, and then you will hit yourself on the head. The categories here are supposed to be universal. So, you know, and this is a living document. We're not, you know, nothing's etched in stone here. Zero points for both films. Put it on the board. Category eight. Best music moments slash needle drop. Michael, you know a lot more about music than I do. These are comedy movies. Didn't really have a lot of uh, scoring going on, but they both had popular songs. Observe and Report had something called It's Late and Hero by Queen, and there were many others. Paul Blart had songs like Weekend in New England by Barry Manilow, and I Can't Hold Back by Survivor. And I'm sure there were other songs. So why don't you shed some light into the music in these movies? Sometimes I'm like, how are we friends? It's Late by Queen and The Hero by Queen are bangers. Holy hell. These aren't two of the Queen songs that float to the top of mind when I think about Queen but they are used to great effect in this movie, and they are awesome songs unto themselves. If I had to pick one, The Hero, which was part of the Flash Gordon soundtrack, it plays when Ronnie is fighting all the cops at the mall when they come to arrest him. What See, if- that, that's another scene which tells me that this is all happening in his head, because that's not going to happen. I did not watch the movie through that lens. I don't know where you're saying where is my mind is overused because if you give me a motion picture, if you give me moving images and play where is my mind, I'm going to be pretty happy. This Did, particular... didn't, they, didn't they have it at the climax of Fight Club? Yes. So you don't think it's like a very overused track? So you're saying that it's been used twice I can't, I don't means know that it's overused. examples... Oh, oh, okay, okay, yeah. I want you to feel a little bit like I feel when you ask me to quantify an answer uh, in relation to, like, all of cinema history. I don't care that it was used in Fight Club. I did think about Fight Club for, like, a second, but it's an awesome song. It's it's written by uh, Frank Black uh, of the Pixies, performed here by a band called City Wolf, and it rocks. I, I like the song. I do like the song. I was thinking that that was going to be my favorite music moment, but I think I got to go with The Hero here, with uh, The Hero by Queen. Okay, what about Paul Blart? While I did not watch Observe and Report through the lens of, is this all in his head? I did, as previously mentioned, watch Paul Blart through the lens of, what would a boomer think? And, wow, Survivor, ELO, Bon Jovi, Kiss? I can see how... 
a certain section of the population watches this movie and just feels seen. And they are like, these are the songs I love. We've, we've been talking about music moments a lot in, in these movies without real needle drops. And both of these films have a lot of true blue needle drops. The one I was most happy to hear is Detroit Rock City by Kiss. It's energetic. It made me think of the film Detroit Rock City, which is a lot of fun. And I feel like Kiss is not sophisticated, but they're still fun. Kiss is still fun. Electric so you, Light Orchestra is good, too. Do I get the feeling that you're leading observe and report here? You should uh, totally get that feeling. All right, put it on the board, Michael. Oh, you agree. I honestly don't know enough about the music in... Uh, both of these movies to fight for one or the other. All right. I think both movies use the music well to the audience that they're playing to. Yes. Uh, Observe and Report music is probably a little bit more familiar to me than the Paul Block music. I named a few songs, and there was a lot of music in Observe and Report that I'm not familiar with. They did sound cool, though. Yes. It's almost all good. Really, really good job with the music in Observe and Report. All right. Observe and... Report gets the point. Put it on the board, Michael. Category nine. Best director slash which movie was directed better? Observe and Report was directed by Jody Hill. I know you love Jody Hill, who I thought was a woman based on the name. But it turns out that he is a male director known for his TV show Eastbound and Down. What a turn of events. He received, uh, well, Jody. Jody's a woman's name, isn't it? Uh, he received a nomination for the Hall of Shame Award for Observe and Report by the Alliance of Women Film Journalists, presumably for the uncomfortable-to-watch date rape scene in Observe and Report. The what alliance? The, the Alliance of Women Film Journalists. Uh, what do you think of Jody Hill's direction in Observe and Report? Let me take one moment to acknowledge that there's some problematic content in this movie. That being said, I was really surprised at how engaging I found Observe and Report to be pretty much from front to back. Obviously, there's some moments that go, you know, beyond cringe and live in that world of problematic content, but we get a film about a really unique and well-drawn character who everything he does and says feels like it comes from who he is at his core. Despite all of the things about Ronnie that are detestable or unlikable, I just never stopped rooting for him. I wanted him to succeed. I think the comedic timing in the movie, the way the camera is used to create comedic moments, to enhance comedic moments, and, and to make that world feel real, I think is really smart. I'm just really, really impressed with Jody Hill's work here. I'm disappointed that he hasn't made more films, but I am thrilled that he made Eastbound and Down. Uh, I like Vice Principals. I love The Righteous Gemstones. I like that he is in, and as an actor, he's in The Righteous Gemstones. That's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jody Hill. So Jody Hill also wrote this movie. And just so, I don't know if you know this, but Kevin James was one of the writers on Paul Blart. I really, really liked Jody Hill's writing and directing in Observe and Report. I know you were sympathetic towards... Uh, the character of Ronnie. This movie is a tough pill to swallow because of how dislikable Ronnie is as a person. But the writing of the movie gets us through. The writing of the scenes 
gets us through combined with the surrounding performances you know the rest of the cast kind of carries us through this movie i also liked how the camera was mostly static in a, in most places and you know i'm not the biggest fan of that but for some reason it works really well in this movie the movie is much more moodier than a paul blart uh it has this blueness to it which is like the mood of the character a tone of blueness like his depressed nature yeah yeah it fits his psychological state and I told you, I really, really disliked the movie, along with the people who gave it $27 million only back in the day, because of Ronnie being a very dislikable character. This time around, you know, with the lens that I mentioned earlier, I was able to enjoy this movie much more. You know, I didn't feel that it, this is necessarily literally what's happening in the world, the events in the movie, but how he feels that the world is. So when his mother, for example, tells him that uh, your father probably left us because of you. Definitely. I thought Ronnie was hearing it, not what his mother was saying. You know what I mean? That's just one example. You know, or how he's able to beat up the crew, McBride's crew. Uh, or the exaggerated racism and sexism left and right throughout the movie. So I like movies that shed a light on mental illness, right? And I think this movie is that movie. I think this movie also makes a case against gun violence. You know, like uh, background checks and whatnot. I think, yeah, it makes a case for increased gun control. With all of that in mind, it was much more enjoyable to watch this movie this time around. In 2009, I would have liked to disown this movie and, you know, not celebrate characters like this. But in 2023, as I can read into it more, I enjoyed it a lot more this time. Ronnie's got a bit of, do you know what it means to, to be like, I'm the main character? I feel like that's something I'm hearing uh, in reference to like influencers and and like TikTok people where you're the character of the of your story? Yeah, main you're character. the main character, right? So you can stand in the aisle of a plane and and make your TikTok or you can park your car where you're not supposed to and 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 make your Instagram reel because you're the main character. Ronnie's got real main character energy. He really thinks that he's special. And I think the film's a little bit ahead of its time in, in terms of identifying that elevated sense of self-grandeur and applying it to a guy who doesn't have all that much intelligence or that many skills to, to back it up. Paul Blart is directed by Steve Carr. He has directed Next Friday, Dr. Doolittle 2, a bunch of music videos, Daddy Daycare, great American movie, Are We Done Yet?, and movie 43. What do you think of Steve Carr's direction of Paul Blart, Mall Cop? I feel like we broached this in, in our best scene discussion, which is there's just no there there. Paul Blart is not interesting as a, a character. I think, I think that's your very unique, unpopular opinion. That's fine. That's fine. Sorry um, to say. I also got to say this, that I am not a big fan of Happy Madison movies. Generally speaking, don't enjoy Happy Madison movies. For one, Adam Sandler's nowhere near this movie. I don't think he had anything to do with it other than being... It's a Happy Madison it's movie. It's his production company. But yeah, in terms he's of involved. creative, he's not involved. I would assume he's not involved. Which, which I think works for the movie because what my first note I wrote down is Paul Blart Mall Cop is one of the few Happy Madison movies that does not feel like a Happy Madison movie. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think I disagree with you there. So uh, that works for me. Anyways, sorry, continue. I, I feel like this film doesn't know what it is. Why are the villains X-game athletes? Well, it's uh, a lot of movies around 2009 had, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I'm jumping around, what do you call it? 
Parkour. Par- uh, th- there was a time in American cinema when parkour <laughs> was just happening in every movie. Yes, and the I know there was a scene on the Office with with parkour. Which which it's not Casino Royale. Which one is it? Casino Royale. Has oh, it is Casino it. Royale. Yeah. Okay. So I was wondering if Casino came out in two thousand eight, two thousand six, two thousand six. There was there was there was a time when parkour was culturally big. What is the scheme in this movie? Can you explain to me the villain's plan and what, what he's going to get out of it? He's going to get all of the credit card machine reading codes from all of the stores in the mall and use it to steal all of the credit card information that is in the bank and then uh, presumably uh, spend it all on Amazon. Did that seem coherent and reasonable to you? It sounded just as coherent and reasonable as the plot of Home Alone. Home Alone is a great film. I agree. I don't think Paul Blart is as great a film as Home Alone, but I think it lives in the same bubble. No, of, no, of, no, uh, no, suspension no, no, of, no, 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 no. Suspension right. of you know, disbelief. I was feeling a little sluggish, but you, you've brought me back. You've brought me back here. No, Home Alone, you, you've got two guys in Home Alone. You've got the wet bandits you got marv and harry and they're trying to rob a house they're trying to rob houses which they have staked out we've seen them successfully rob houses before and they're after their golden goose they are after uh, a home that they are sure that there are a lot of valuable items in these these two bandits in home alone they go out of their way to reassess whether or not this particular home has people living in it or not Whereas there's a whole neighborhood full of empty homes in the same area that they could be focusing their energies on. Yeah, but they are confused because they had information and evidence that the house should be empty, and, and now it appears as though it's not empty anymore. I'm just saying both movies are equally enjoyable, and they live in that suspension it's of disbelief. It's taken us to this point, to episode eight, for you to say something so totally indefensible that I am, I'm near speechless. What are the codes that the people are writing on their arms in Paul Blart for? What do those codes mean? They let you look at the credit card numbers that are in the bank. Oh, do they? Yeah. The thing about... Two, two-factor authentication, mofo. The thing about... That didn't exist in 2009. Thank you. We don't know that. We do. Suspension of disbelief, right? I don't need to understand it, but it needs to seem somewhat reasonable. You put the villain of Paul Blart, who is there to steal money, in a bank. He spends the whole movie in a bank, but he's not there for the money in the bank. He is instead there to send his... his no, he, he's there for the money in the bank. Presumably, all of the transactions in the credit card machines go through the bank's computer. I've never worked in a mall, and I know nothing about the way a mall works, but it doesn't work like that. So are, are, are you going to say that this movie is directed poorly because of that plot point? I'm going to say that it's directed poorly because of the depiction of the antagonist. You know what I really hate? I hate when a movie moment is portrayed as a twist when all it is is that we have not been given any information to believe a, a character is any in any way different than the way that he's been portrayed, and now he's suddenly different. That, that was a tough pill to swallow. Elaborate for our audience. Absolutely terrible. Okay, I haven't rewatched Saw in a long time, but Saw was my original what the hell is this kind of moment? And like, why do people think 
that this is clever. Oh my god! You know how you came to Home Alone's defense, guns blazing. I'm I'm, I'm gonna come down on Saw's defense, guns blazing. If well, you go down, please correct me. Please, please correct me if I'm wrong here, because I, I was so mad about it that I I refused to go back and rewatch it. There is no indication at any point in the rest of the film that the man who's lying on the floor of the room where Carrie Elwes cuts his own leg off is the villain. There's no hint to that ever, right? So when he gets up, when he like stands up and walks away at the end, that's not a twist. I thought that was a great twist. It, how is it a twist? He's been in the room the whole time with the key. It can only be a twist if there was some piece of information that you as an audience member could have figured it out beforehand. Look, man, I agree with you about the twist, quote-unquote twist, and Paul Blart being a silly twist. Okay. Okay? Please don't denigrate the name of the great franchise that is Saw on that little point. I'm here to keep people honest, all right? I'm just here to keep people honest. You Um, you defended Home Alone. I'm going to defend Saw without so much an ounce of information about how it all went down because I haven't seen Saw in a very long time. But I'll tell you this. Saw was tight. This line is delivered in Paul Blart, unironically. Here's the craziest part. I'm the leader. What's the first rule of filmmaking, H? What is the first rule of filmmaking? Show, don't tell. Okay, yes. All right. There there was no... So what Michael is referring to is at the end, the, the SWAT team leader who is in charge of the hostage. Oh, no, no, no. This is Vec. This oh, this is, is Vec? Yes. Right, oh. right when he makes his turn. That's your thing? I thought you were talking about SWAT team leader. No, but you've brought an even better point to the table, which is not only does this movie do this really annoying thing once, it does it twice. What, what was your stick, uh, sticking point with Vec? Tell me again. There is zero indication through the way that the character acts, through anything that he says. There is nothing that is presented to us on film that would lead us or indicate to us as an audience that he's not who he says he is. I think there was there was no clear indication, but the fact that he got a job there, that he was trying to understand how the hallways work, and that uh, he was in the bank at the time that the bank was closing was enough That happens three seconds before he literally says, guess what, guys, I'm the villain. There was enough sprinkled in there for my uh, belief to be suspended. Do you know what makes this even more offensive? Is there's a super... It's a comedy. There's a super effective moment in Observe and Report, which is when Dennis says, I thought you were going to be my partner in crime. Before it's revealed clearly that he is the guy who's been robbing the audience. So that piece of dialogue was enough for you? Yes. All right. You know what? I think you are, you're blinded by your love for Observe and Report. No, you're and just you're wrong. willing to you're give just it wrong. a lot you're more Levi than you are this beloved American comedy called Paul Blart. $189 million, Michael. $189 million. I don't care. The great Kevin James and the Happy Madison clan. Is it your contention that Paul Blart is a better directed film no. than Observer and Report? No, no. But okay, so we don't need to have this argument. Can we move on? All right, so I, I like that Paul Blart was not as Happy Madison as most Happy Madison movies are. It does not have as many cringeworthy moments 
and great school humor, as most Happy Madison movies do. You're still talking about Paul Blart. Paul Blart is a breath of fresh air, man. But you know what? Observe and Report is a more unique experience. And so, Observe and Report, Jody Hill, better directed. Put it on the scoreboard. Category 10. Best Cinematography or Best Shot. Observe and Report cinematographer Tim Orr. He's shot a lot of movies, but his known movies include Pineapple Express, The Sitter, uh, and a lot of 5 to $20 million range comedy movies. He is also the cinematographer for some Eastbound and Down episodes. Do you want me to get into the other cinematographer first, or do you want me to you want to just talk about this guy? No, let's 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 do the background on both. Paul Bart's cinematography is by Russ T. Alterbrook. Uh, he did Rain Over Me, Superbad, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and a ton of episodes for New Girl, the hit TV show. What do you think of Tim Orr's cinematography in Observe and Report? And what do you think of Russ Alterbrook's cinematography in Paul Bart's Mall Cop? I think it's important to identify that cinematography in films like this, there's not as much opportunity to flex like there is in a Wyatt Earp. Or even um, that shot in, what's the Denzel movie we watched? Uh, Equalizer. Equalizer, You know, yeah. the, 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 the over-the-head, upside-down Russian mobster shot. So what I'm looking for is, does... The cinematography assist in creating the world of this film and is the cinematography and and the placement of the camera used to elevate comedy and storytelling. I'm pretty impressed with the photography in Observe and Report. A couple shots that stuck out to me are uh, the first reveal of the flasher. It's kind of a high angle long shot, a long take that follows the flasher around the parking lot. And it's not quite steady cam, but it's very steady. I see this this high angle shot from the place beyond the pines a lot. It's this motorcycle shot, high angle. I, th- I think there's a shot like that in Goodwill Hunting too. So the high angle dolly stuck out to me. There's a, a subtle but really well done night to day time lapse that follows the first, uh, the shoe store robbery. You know, the camera settles looking out the front door, and time lapses are hard. Time lapses are really hard to achieve, and to make them look smooth is really difficult. You do a lot of time lapses. I know, uh, that's why. So our audience knows Michael does a lot of time lapses. That's why I know how hard they are. Um, and it, it's done really, really well. A place where the camera is doing some work in terms of the comedy is when Ronnie's face pops up between Detective Harrison and Brandy who are hooking up in the car or the camera's in the car with them looking out and Ronnie's heads pops up between them in the window. The physics, the geography of that scene doesn't really make sense, but it works uh, because of the camera placement choice. And then throughout the film, I thought slow motion is used to great effect, usually to elevate comedy I really love that shot of of the whole security crew coming down the escalator, breaking the fourth wall, looking into the camera. That that actually took me out of the movie. That I I had the exact opposite reaction to that shot. Fair, I I, I can understand that feeling, and and then the slow motion that's used in the the scene where he's chasing the flasher at the end, not not just because it's visually engaging, 
But when uh, Ronnie pulls out his handgun and he shoots the flasher and we hear a gunshot and we cut back to regular timed footage, it's just super jarring and super effective and it really elevates that moment. Another example of why I thought it's happening in his head, you know, the naked man being shot in the mall and then, you know, the police not arresting him. Anything else you want to... Do you think um, that Tom Cruise dies at the beginning of Top Gun Maverick? I'm not equipped to have... Have you not seen Top Gun Maverick? Of course I've seen Top Gun Maverick. So you know, so he's in the test plane, right? And he goes Mach 9. Yeah. What are the chances a test pilot survives a plane? I think the chance is zero. Right. Yeah. Do you think the entire movie takes place in the audience's head? Takes place in his head. Oh, after. Yeah. Okay. It's just like a fever dream. Is this like a fan theory or... Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I've heard before that he could not have survived that plane crash. Yeah. Do you think it might have just happened in his head that he went on that flight to begin with? No. Okay. That part was real. Okay. So with Observe and Report, I thought that the shots had purpose. Uh, One of the few times uh, I liked, as I mentioned earlier, that the tripod is kind of locked off in one place. The characters do all the acting and the hard work and the camera just kind of takes a back seat. My favorite shot in Observe and Report was the inside the car, bullet style, you know, when Michael Pena the great shot. steals the car. You know, we're inside the car the whole time. If you guys are familiar with this movie, Steve McQueen's Bullet, great racing movie. And uh, well, is it a racing movie? A th- like a car theft movie? Yeah, it's a crime movie. A crime movie, and it has some really great car chases. So uh, it kind of pays homage to Bullet through that shot. So I, re- I really enjoyed that about Observe and Report. So uh, what do you think about Paul Blart's cinematography by Russ T. Alterbrook? It's not offensive, you know. I I think for both of these films, there's a a certain utilitarian vibe to the camera and making sure that the camera doesn't get in in the way of everything else that's going on. Uh, Big ups for both Observer and Report and Paul Blart for using a tripod because a tripod lets you forget for a moment that there's somebody sitting behind the camera directing, that there's a crew of people there with lights. It lets the acting and the production design, you know, lets those things take center stage. Again, I feel like Paul Blart was most successful when it was referencing things that we've come to expect from a law enforcement comedy And I mean, when I think about Hot Fuzz and like how good Hot Fuzz is, that's what it's doing. Hot Fuzz is a a parody of police comedies with its own unique police story. So maybe that's where Paul Blart tripped here for me. It failed to reference and address the tropes and things that I expect when I'm going to see a law enforcement but, the story about law enforcement. But you you are you were expecting a parody? Or see, I I did not think it was a parody. I thought it was a legit movie where the main character is a mall cop. It it was not the naked gun for me. It was the story of Paul Blart the mall well, cop. Well, I'm saying I think I would have enjoyed it more if it was if it had more of a parody of action films feel. It never it doesn't embrace that, you know. What is a Martin Lawrence movie in which he hides the diamond in the police station? You know what I'm talking about? Is it Blue Streak? Blue Streak. I really enjoy Blue Streak, and I think Paul Blart is like Blue Streak in the way that when I'm watching Paul Blart Mall Cop, I feel like I'm in a mall. When I'm watching Observe and Report, there's a stylized version of the mall that I'm looking at. You know, we talked about the blue, uh, the blueness of the whole movie, which kind of has to do with the mental state of the character. 
one of my favorite cinematographers of all time is John Seal. I'm not sure if he's still around, but he's an Australian cinematographer who uh, used to work with Peter Weir a lot, who did, um, I think he did Master and Commander. I think he did The Dead Poet Society. He did this movie called Spanglish with Adam Sandler. I'm the guy about- who shot Master and Commander shot Spanglish? Yeah. What uh, so a world. It, and, you know, I'm not 100%, but I think so. So my favorite thing about John Seal is you never notice the camera or the lighting in the way that he lights the scene. So I think that is a... You know, obviously... The... I had no idea that Spanglish was a James L. Brooks movie. So John Seale's strength is that he never draws attention to the camera or the lighting in everything that he does. So in the same way, Paul Bart Walcott's cinematography's strength is that it never draws attention to itself. If you are wanting to experience a mall, it is perfectly lit and the camera is positioned in a way that you feel like you're in a mall. And... I think Paul Blart did it better than can I make Observer a, Report. Can I make a blanket statement? Yeah. When I'm sitting down to watch a film, I'm never going to want to feel like I'm in a mall. Unless the movie's about a mall. Yeah, but even then, I... There, Ace up my sleeve, Michael. Okay. <laughs> yeah, go can ahead. Can I compliment you? Sure. We talked a little bit about, I think, our last podcast, about why I want to make this podcast, and you have fulfilled my one one of my desires which is to expand the conversation right to talk about influences and professionals and people who who've done great work in films and you brought up the name john seal i've never thought of the name john seal before and i'm looking at this list of films mad max fury road the perfect storm the talented mr ripley oh talented mr ripley is one of john seal's best unbelievable work and did you know that uh, Talent from Mr. Ripley is not that high budget of a movie? Yes. It looks like it's 10 times what its budget is. Uh, this list is absolutely incredible. The Firm, Dead Poet Society, which you mentioned, Rain Man, Children of a Lesser God, Witness? This guy shot Witness. Witness was a Peter Weir film, right? Yeah, with Harrison Ford. Yeah, he did a lot of Peter Weir's films. I, I lay down my sword about nope. the cinematography and I, I he, he's not the cinematographer on Paul Blart I know okay. I said you expanded the conversation you taught me a name I didn't know and here we are talking about great films alright and just uh, to kind of cap off that thought when I'm in watching Paul Blart I also get a sense of where Paul Blart's office is where the security office is I get a sense of where the back entrance of the mall is I get a sense of where the Rainforest Cafe is in relationship to the rest of the mall, I get a sense of how large the mall is. So in all of those aspects, I thought Paul Blart did it better. So, I mean, I can't think of one thing that I think Paul Blart does better than Observer and Report, but I do want to mention two scenes that I like, because I'm not here to, to poo-poo on everything. I was thrilled to see Rainforest Cafe. Nothing says, like, you're in a mall. Like the Rainforest Cafe, lots of good memories, the fish tank. And it was nice to see like a, a scene with different lighting. You have taken the position that flat fluorescent style mall lighting is what you were looking for from this film. And boy, did you get it, uh, except for the Rainforest Cafe scene. Um, and I think one of the few scenes where the camera elevated the comedy was when Paul passes out as he's delivering an ominous message through the PA system, like, I'm coming for you. 
and then he passes out. And while he's on the floor, he sees a dirty lollipop. It's a static shot with the lollipop in the foreground out of focus, but you you know what it is. You know exactly what you're looking at. You understand his predicament, and the camera gives you time to join Paul on this road of thought that he has to go down, which is like, I'm on the floor, I need sugar, and the only thing at my disposal here is the dirty lollipop. So here we go. All right. Best cinematography for Mr. So for that, the best cinematography award goes to. Not for that, for the entire picture. To Mr. Russ Alterbrook for Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Category 11. Best quote slash best dialogue. Michael, I think this is going to be another easy one for your favorite. Sure, let's make it quick. Uh, Let's just go through some dialogues in both movies. For Observe and Report, I have Aziz Ansari saying, Why the f*** would I blow up a Chick-fil-A? It's delicious. I have Ronnie saying, Put your sorries in a sack and give it to someone who needs them, not me. That was funny. I have Ronnie saying, I would love nothing more than to see what you think you do. I feel like That's that's my favorite line. That's my favorite line in the whole movie. Can I reread it? Yes. Oh, so he's saying this to Detective Harrison, and he's saying this with the smartassness of a middle schooler, which is, I would love more than anything to see what you think you do. Yeah. It's devastating. I feel like, Michael, this is something you would say to, like, me or other people that's around I'm going to now. Danny McBride says, you know what I should do is make you suck this gun like a (laughs) And when it it's going to blow your brains all over the street. Uh, we have to bleep too much of that out. It's gro- it, Also, it's gross. It's a great line. Uh, Ronnie says, you think it's my fault daddy left us? And mom replies, definitely. And then I have Ronnie says... You're, but- you're butchering the readings. Well, why don't you do it? Ronnie asks, do you think it was my fault dad left? Mom says, definitely. And Ronnie says, and if anyone wants a girl to have sex with you and then f*** your enemy, go to Brandy. Because that is what she does. That line feels so true to what like an emotionally immature person would say. What's the last part of that line? Because that's what she does. I'm just going to be me here. I'm afraid that Observe and Report is a really misogynistic movie. Intentionally. The role was originally written for uh, Danny McBride. And I don't think I would like this movie as much if Danny McBride was the lead in this movie because I think the reason why this movie feels as good as it does is because of the subtlety of uh, Seth Rogen's performance, which actually, because of the subtlety of it, somehow elevates the material as opposed to it being just a funny romp, it is... To me, it feels much more about mental illness than it does about a laugh-out-loud riot. It's a, it's a better serious movie than it is a comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I you know I feel like Brandy is attacked a little bit, and I don't necess- I don't think it's deserved. Brandy has every right to not be impressed or taken with Ronnie. Well, there's a lot of that. Not just Brandy, but. Um, you know, Aziz Ansari being called Saddam multiple times. I don't know if that was his character's name or not. Um, no, his character's name is not Saddam. We don't know that. Um, and then, especially if it wasn't, it's definitely insensitive. And then we have uh, the guy that he tases after booting his car. There's that. 
And I'm sure there's a lot of other problematic material throughout this movie. I just, you know, that's a moment of like slut shaming on Brandy there at the end. And Brandy never told Ronnie, like, we're boyfriend, girlfriend. For the most part, beyond a time that Brandy is is intoxicated to the point of, of throwing up and passing out, she pretty clearly detests Ronnie. So I think it's important just to say that, like, we can acknowledge as viewers and other viewers of this film should acknowledge that Ronnie judging Brandy for what she does in, in her own life, that his, that his anger is misplaced. But we can agree that this was a great line overall. It, it's a good line. Do you have any other? Oh, I have an honorable mention for Ray Liotta yelling at Ronnie scene. Do you know what the lines are? Do you want to perform any of them? On camera today? Oh, you're talking about when he's really yelling at him? Yeah. I don't love that monologue. No? No. Okay. That was the that, most Ray Liotta that Ray Liotta gets in the movie. It's a taste thing. I, I so much prefer that scene where Ronnie shows up at the police department and Harrison tells him he can't be on the that, force. That, that was one of the best scenes in the movie. And did you know that Danny McBride, after he was not allowed to play Rogan's character, uh was being considered for uh, the Detective Harrison part. It doesn't work as well. without somebody like Leota. That's what I'm saying. I think this movie really benefits from this these two casting choices. We didn't put any respect on Ray Leota's name. He passed away last year? Last year. Was Honor- it last year or this year? I think it was last year. Goodfellas. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. They'll watch Goodfellas 100 years from now and think about Ray Leota. Oh, there are two other lines that I wanted to mention. Uh, This first one, I think it's a memorable line because of the performance. Uh, Ronnie, this is after Brandy has been flashed. Uh, Ronnie says, are you all right, Brandy? And Brandy says, physically, yes, but psychologically, no. See, um, Anna Faris is a great comedian. She does a lot of work in this movie. Not just this movie. Like, in almost every movie I've seen her in, she does incredible... I wasn't saying that she doesn't do it in other movies, but she really does a lot in this movie. Yeah. She brings a lot to it. Any other lines? One other. This was uh, in an early scene. Ronnie's talking to the twins. He says, Yuen's, you guys are my infantry. One of you dies, God gave me another one. Yeah, that's good. I thought that was clever. For Paul Blart, Mall Cop, I have Paul Blart saying... The mind is the only weapon that doesn't need a holster. Paul's boss saying, and I think this was my favorite in Paul Blart, which is, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You're not armed. You're not trained. And let's face it, son, you present a huge target. That was one of the funnier lines of the movie. I loved when uh, Paul Blart uh, crashes through the window. And before crashing through the window, he says, I believe in magic. I loved it. Same, you know, a great read, I thought. That didn't land for me. I'm going to be honest. And then there was a, Particular portion of the movie. Where, what, what? When does that happen? What window? Uh, when he's in the American Joe restaurant drunk. Oh, that he, seems tough for me. All right. All right. You, you don't like uh, good old fashioned humor. Uh, Paul's boss says, and this is like such a silly line, but I think because uh, I really like Kevin James, so does a lot of America. It just works because of Kevin James. Paul's boss says, the trainee. And Paul responds, the brainee. Oh, that was pretty good. I don't even understand what that means. All right, man. Brainy? Yeah, because he's the brain behind the operation. But it doesn't really matter because we we both like the lines in Observe and Report Back. I have one Paul Blart line. Tell us. That I thought was clever. And clever in a way that I'm surprised it hasn't come up in a film before. Maybe it has. 
but I'm not aware of it. He says, no one wins with a headbutt. All right. I thought that was a, a kind of a universal action film sentiment that is yet to be delivered. Okay. I, for Paul Blard, I got to go with the best line was, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You're not armed. You're not trained. And let's face it, son, you present a huge target. Fat shaming going on big time in this movie. That's one of my problems with that American Joe scene, right? There is a, a supposed lesson to be learned in the film Paul Blart Mall Cop about not judging a person based on their appearance, right? Not saying you are limited in what you can achieve based on your appearance. So tell me, what's funny about the guy singing karaoke in that scene? He's uh, Kevin James's brother. Yeah, but what is meant to be funny about him? I don't think they were playing for laughs. It was just, he was just a guy singing karaoke. No, he's supposed to be funny because he's weird looking. I mean, it's a Happy Madison movie. He looks just as weird as... I don't know why you refuse to remove the rose-colored glasses through which you've watched this film. It's a Happy Madison Next movie. Next category. Next category. Put it on the board for observe and report for best dialogue. Category 12. Which movie gets the good time at the movies award? Don't even say observe and report, Michael. Don't even say it. Don't say it for our audience. Michael looks really sad right now because he definitely enjoyed observe and report a lot more. I enjoyed observe and report so much. I think we've talked about it before. I feel like I I talk about a lot in in my off-air life. The mood that you're in, you know, matters a lot when you sit down to watch a movie. It's actually, I think, one of the harder things to quantify when you and I are, are forced to watch specific movies to, to talk about. Yeah, sometimes you're just not in the mood. Sometimes you're just not in the mood. Somehow, some way, I was in the exact right mood for Observe and Report. Maybe it was this viral, cold, flu, not COVID, I took a test, whatever, brewing, you know, in my system that made me identify with Ronnie and his struggles, but front to back, I just had so much fun watching Observe and Report. Seth Rogen is so good, and then you get Michael Pena, and he's just hilarious, and then in the next scene, you get Ray Liotta. It's a film that defied convention, but like the moment when you realize that Dennis has been robbing the mall, I felt gutted. I just felt gutted. I was just super in tune with this movie. I'm looking forward to watching it again. Michael. Let me, conversely, it was really difficult to get through Paul Blart. It felt like real work for me. It it might have been a headspace thing for you. But let let me tell you this, that I really, really disliked Observe and Report in the past, and I really, really liked it this time around for all the reasons that we've discussed earlier. I think it's a really well-written movie. I think it's, uh, it's, it has great scenes in it. And I think it has uh, a great performance Seth, uh, by, by uh, Little Rogan. Mr. Seth Rogen. But I got to tell you, man, the category is which movie is a good time at the movies award. Come on, man. Paul Blart is a fun family film. It has a likable character. Now, I liked Observe and Report this time around. But I'm telling you, man, 9 out of 10 people are not going to like this character. Uh, it has a diehard in the mall premise. It has fun stuff going on, like when he latches the guy into the tanning bed. And guess what? Paul is such a nice guy that he remembers to put the 
sunshades on the guy's eyes before he leaves. I think observe and report is an acquired taste. It has some real questionable moments like date rape, racism, and uh, the beating up of multiple cops. So when it comes to a good time and a fun time at the movies, I don't think there's an argument here, man. Kevin James is a national treasure. Ugh. I can't believe what you've done here. What a coherent argument you've made. You made me see beyond my own taste, my own great, good, refined taste in film, and think the Americans that spent $156 million to $183 million Let's get the number right. Can't all be wrong. 183, you're right. I might, I might have said 189 a couple times. Continue. Sorry. Can I abstain? Your vote? Yeah. And sure. just, I withdraw my contest. I, I can't in good conscience say that Paul Blart was a good time at the movies. I honestly had a really hard time getting through it. It did not get easier as time went on, as I spent more time with the BMX, bike, skateboard, rollerblading, villains. What do you think of him on his uh, Segway? What do you think is the maximum number of Segway jokes that can be in a 90-minute film? Can't you just get past that and uh, think about him just using it as his everyday transportation rather than think about it as a joke? No. What, so, what, what do you think of him? Uh, like one of the one of the laugh out loud moments in the movie uh, was, in my opinion, when he uh, jumps from the SUV at the very end over to the van and falls into the ground instead. What do you think of that? What do you think of Kevin James's physical comedy overall? In that scene, he's meant to jump from a moving vehicle that's moving at like fifty miles an hour, and. He misses the vehicle he's aiming for, and then he gets up without a scratch on him. It's a comedy. uh, Nowhere else in the the film Paul Blart do they say that the rules of physics don't apply in the world. I told you, look, I can't, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest, I got to be me, I got to be honest with our audience, I can't bring myself to say that Paul Blart is a good time at the movies. Are you, you're, you're, I mean, are, are I, I feel like I th- I've been bending like a piece of grass lately on these things. Let me say this again. Observe and Report has a very dislikable character who is a racist, who is mean to people. Uh, he commits date rape. He beats up a bunch of cops. He tases a gentleman who is just there to conduct some business. He's willing to let go of one of the twins if their life has to be given up. He's an extremely dislikable character. You know what a character. good movie is? You know what a good movie, a, peop- a movie that people say is good is? Schindler's List. What happens in Schindler's List? Do you think Schindler's Jews oh, are murdered uh, in me, Schindler's List. All right, guys. It doesn't mean I'm, it's a bad film. I'm glad you brought that up. You're glad if, I brought up Schindler's I, List? No, I, I'm, I'm actually really, really glad you brought it up because I think you have actually helped my argument here. The question is, which movie gets the Good Time at the Movies Award? Oh, sh**. <laughs> Nobody's arguing. <laughs> oh. 
Michael, do I need to rephrase that question in any way? You're saying Schindler's List is a good time at the movies? Oof, I have made... Your love for Observe and Report a huge is mistake. clouding you. It is, it is. Just put me out of my misery, please. <laughs> Paul Blart, Mall Cop, is a good time at the movies. It's a traditional comedy with likable characters. Kevin James is uh, an enjoyable leading man. Don't, you're just, you're rubbing salt in the wound here. Let's no, move I'm just on. Giving Let's real, move on. I'm giving real reasons here. Move on. All right. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. We need a break after that. Back from break. Uh, the next section of this podcast is where we get into genre-specific categories. Now, these two movies are comedy movies, so we're going to talk about comedy-specific categories here. Category 13. The first of the comedy genre-specific categories is what we call the Banana Peel Award. Which movie had the best physical comedy? What do you think, Michael? Well, I mean, I've distilled... The physical comedy in each film, down to a single moment. Oh, tell us. I'm sure there are others, but these are the ones that stuck out to me. In Observe and Report, when um, Ronnie and Dennis are on their uh, drug-induced escapades around the mall, they encounter and beat up a bunch of skateboarders, culminating in Ronnie leaning out the electric golf cart and, and hitting a skateboarder in the back of the head with a, with a skateboard. And it just, it breaks nicely. The, the skateboard breaks nicely, and it feels very tangible. Nice piece of physical comedy. In um, Paul Blart, I've mentioned that I thought the opening obstacle course scene was palatable. I thought the backflip that Paul Blart does off the swinging rope, I think it's a visual effect, but I thought it was well done, and it was, it was funny to me. Well, for Paul Blart, I have a lot more here. Paul Blart getting stuck in the ventilation shaft to me, is physical comedy. Paul Blart crashing into the van is physical comedy. Paul Blart uh, rolling around the ground. What, what do you call this move when you're like uh, on all fours? Like a dog crawl? Like a dog crawl towards the bank. That's physical comedy. The, f- the moment in the trailer when he kind of skids across and lands behind the information sign. And then all the stuff going on with the Segway is all physical comedy as far as I'm concerned. So I think this one... For me, is an easy one for Paul Blart. What do you think? Fine. <laughs> your love for observe and report is clouding your objective mind. I disagree. Young, uh, young Jedi. Put it on the board for Paul Blart, please, sir. Category 14. The second of the comedy genre-specific categories. The best comeback slash insult. This is a pretty common thing in comedy movies. Here are my nominees. For observe and report... I have the Ray Liotta monologue where he screams at Ronnie and says that he's a rent-a-cop. Use the R word there. Are you talking about rent-a-cop? No. Oh, the the word that we don't use anymore that has to do with uh, mental learning capabilities? Sure. And then we have uh, Ronnie saying to the reporter that I'm here with this doctor. Do you want to say that line? Well, you've given it no context. Uh, give us some context. The context is that the there's a reporter talking to Ronnie about the flasher, right? This is early in the movie. Early, early. And the reporter does not use Ronnie's correct title as head of security. 
And when Ronnie tries to correct her, she so does called. not stop. She does, does, does not stop her news report to correct herself. So Ronnie says, I'm here with this doctor. Yeah. Which is sarcasm. Which And the moment went by really fast. It wasn't like a, like a moment that they spent too much time on. It's subtle, but it's fun. Paul Blart has uh, the SWAT team leader, James Kent, tells Paul Blart, hey, man, you will only be talking to me on the radio, no one else. And then he cannot hear Paul Blart on the other end. And he says, hello, hello. And then right behind James Kent, the person who Paul Blart wants to speak to, their phone rings. And that person picks up the phone and says, oh, hi, Paul. And to me, that was the best comeback slash insult moment. I think that that's insulting, but maybe not an insult. Sure. Why don't you choose who you want to give it to? I know you'll be super objective about you this. You know, actually, I did like the little bit in Paul Blart when the, they call him Chief, the, white, the older white-haired guy. Yeah. He, when he has a, a list of suggested comebacks for the other police officer. For, for SWAT team leader James right, Kent. Right, to really put Bobby Cannavale in his place. Yeah. Uh, the first one being... And, and that's comedian Adam Ferrara, uh, who plays the policeman. The first one being, yeah, you and what army? And then Adam Ferrara says... He has a little army with him. Yeah. yeah. But it, does that qualify as a comeback? No, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm here to celebrate the high highs. Yeah, that was a good the part in... highs. That was a good good uh, exchange of the movie. Observer Report is better. Observer Report is better. Michael, with his ever-eternal objectivity in this uh, scenario, gives the point to observe and report. The next category, category 15. The third in the comedy genre is the best douche, a straight man, the, straight, uh, the straight-faced man, the normal person in the world. Which movie has the best stooge? For Observe and Report, we have Ray Liotta. Yep. Yeah, would you nominate him? Sure. All right. Ray Liotta has a lot of great scenes in the movie. He is Officer Harrison. And the subtlety that Ray Liotta brings into this role is just perfect. I think it's an unbelievable and necessary energy that he brings as like a composed adult man in the face of Ronnie's insane childishness. Yeah. And of all the great scenes that he has, I think you and I both love the scene when he brings Ronnie into his office to tell him that he did not get in the academy. Do you believe at any time in that scene that Harrison actually has sympathy for Ronnie? Multiple times. It's a very strange performance that he gives because he wants to make fun of him. And I think... But it's, he's just so pathetic in that moment that yeah. there's just no meat on the bones. There's like no comedy to be had. Yeah. He's not able to get the get the reaction that he wants from Ronnie. This is my favorite straight man amongst the two films. Uh, who, who are the straight men? In, I don't even care. I don't even care. I want to talk about this a little more. Detective Harrison does work to both make Ronnie the butt of the joke, like when he's yelling at him in the in the manager's office, or um, even up to that point that Ronnie's the butt of the joke when when Detective Harrison boots him out of the car at the crossroads, right? Because Harrison knows that he is putting him in a dangerous situation. But the expectation for the scene turns. Ronnie protects himself, arrests a child drug dealer, and Harrison also works as the straight butt of the joke and, and giving Ronnie something to be proud of, something to achieve in the face of 
Detective Harrison's character. So not only do I think Ray Liotta is like a great straight man, it's just a, a really well-written character that elevates the main character of the film. What would this movie have been if Danny McBride played Ray Liotta character? Did we ever talk about this? You brought it up that he would have potentially played that character. Because, um, because he was originally slated to be the lead as Ronnie, but then due to studio notes was not allowed to and then would have fallen into Harrison's shoes. You know, we, we talked about Wes Anderson earlier, and I think sometimes Wes Anderson, that we lose the ability to identify with a Wes Anderson character because they are surrounded by other Wes Anderson characters, right? We need to be able to see something of the world that we know and relate to as a reference point for these characters who are unusual. I think if Danny McBride was Detective Harrison, then, you know, the whole thing kind of becomes a, a farce. And I, I, I think it would have inhibited or made the real emotion that Seth Rogen is, is expressing as, as Ronnie seem less authentic. Do you think the movie would have been more popular? In 2009, I don't think anybody knew who Danny McBride was. All right, man. Uh, did you have a stooge in uh, Paul Blart, the straight man or woman? Almost everybody else in Paul Blart is playing it straight. I think Observe and Report is very ensemble, whereas Paul Blart is a Kevin yes. James vehicle. The straightest person in all of Paul Blart, I believe, is the girl. The uh, love interest. The love interest. What's Amy. her name? Amy. But come on, man. Ray Liotta here. A really well-written character. There's no way Amy's going to face off against him. There's no character in Paul Blart. There's no straight man or woman in Paul Blart who's put to his good use as Harrison is in Observe and Report. All right, point, observe, and report. I'm pretty sure that at this point, I don't have the tally in front of me, but my sense is that Observe and Report probably has a lead at this point. And I think the audience will be very upset if that is what's going to happen. But you know what? This is a very well-discussed system that we have here with proper metrics. So we still have a whole other section of the podcast left here, which is the twin movie-specific categories. So these are categories that HT has created based on these two movies alone. He knows what the categories are. I don't. Let's do it. So when we're dealing with twin movies, it's amazing how many similarities twin movies have. In these two movies... The main character loves a girl who works in hair and makeup. This girl drives a sports coupe. In both movies, the main character trains for the police academy, drives an electric vehicle, has a fight with a large, somewhat naked person, dresses awkwardly for a party, has a villainous co-worker, has a disagreement with an Indian person, takes down skaters, and takes down bad guys in a diehard slash Home Alone style fashion. This is a real skill of yours to pinpoint all these. Did you know this, that in both movies, characters say a very specific line beginning with, like my mom always said. In both movies, these are literally the words that come out of two separate characters. I, mean, I, actually, I remember the Paul Blart one because of how insane I thought it was. Yeah, and there's one just like that from Anna Faris's mouth in Observe and Report. Anyway, so, you know, I have I found even more common things to discuss in the categories to follow. Category 16. The first of the twin movie specific categories. Which movie has the better raffle prize vehicle smashing through the glass 
and escaping the mall scene. So now we're talking about the scene involving the raffle prize car, which is in both movies. Right. So we've got the minivan in, in, in Paul Blart that crashes through the, the windows of a, a garment store. Yeah. And in Observer Report, we have Michael Pena, who takes the... It's a Toyota Solara. Uh, convertible? Convertible. But in the movie, it's covered. It's not converted. And the camera is in the vehicle as he drives through the mall, smashing through the glass, getting out of the mall. All right. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be accused of bias here, so why don't you say it? You say it out loud. Even the Paul Blart, the movie, shows the entire vehicle from the outside and the smashing of the glass from the outside. The, the shot of inside the car, we don't even know that it's Michael Pena. We just you know put two and two together that it's Michael Pena driving the car. It's just a great shot. There's no beating that shot. The, the car really drives through the mall for like a good five or six seconds before it smashes through the main doors. It's a great shot. It's a great shot. So I think the movie, the prize goes to observe and report here. Category 17. The second of the twin movie specific categories. Which movie has the better quirky transportation for the main character? We got a segue. Uh, in observe and report, we have the motorcycle. For Mr. Ronnie, unless you want to pick golf cart for him. And then uh, for Paul Blart, we have the Segway. Which, which Segway is a real character in the movie with a lot of stunts. What is the title of this category again? Which movie has the better quirky transportation for the main character? Now that I'm thinking about it, it seems surprising that the Segway is not brought up in Observe and Report. I don't know. You, you mean in Paul Blart? No. I mean, it is in Paul Blart. I'm surprised that it's not in Observer and Report because... As a vehicle? There was a moment in time when the company that makes the Segway was trying to convince the American people that Segways were the future of human transportation, that you would take mass transit to the city and then you would hop on a Segway to get where you wanted to go. This was, of course, before the man who eventually owned the Segway company was murdered by a Segway that drove off a cliff. Is that true? That's true. Oh, my God. Something like that is true. Feel yeah. free to look that up yourself. What a Segway. Um, thinking about that, right? Thinking about how like Segways were kind of a cultural touchstone there for a stretch. I wonder if it was like a licensing thing. They paid money to the Segway company or... You know, the Segway company allowed them to use that device, you know, in Paul Blart. Paul Blart has had some heavy product placement. I can see why products would not want to be associated with Observer Report. So we know where I stand uh, on a number of things here today. I feel comfortable saying that um, the Segway is quirky uh, to itself and its inclusion in, in, in Paul Blart earns this point. Also, it has a lot of function in the movie. It's, it's literally a character in the movie. I'm thinking it never really malfunctions, yeah. right? So I have to assume that they had some sort of deal, some sort of back-end deal here with the Segway people. Make us look good. Answer me this question. How did Paul Blart trigger the Segway that has the dummy on it to drive towards Vic while he was in the ceiling of the bank. Look, man, why didn't he lock the door? Of the bank. When, when I mean, Vec, I'm talking about like when, a, when No, I understand your question. My response is simply, there's a lot of things that don't make sense in the movie. So your question is noted. I thought the same thing. 
But it's a movie, man. It's a good time at the movies. Okay. Lay back, relax. Okay. All right. Paul Blart, Segway, takes that point. Category 18. The third of the twin movie specific categories is which movie has the better card given or received by the main character? In Observe and Report, Michael Pena, who has run off to Mexico after the robbery, sends a postcard to Ronnie to tell him that despite their differences, they will always be friends. In Paul Blart, Mall Cop, Kevin James goes out of his way, smashing through glass with his Segway to secure a birthday card for his love interest. In the end, after it's all over, he delivers the sweet note on the card to the woman that he's pursuing. Which movie has the better card given or received by the main character, Michael? There's a moment in Paul Blart Mall Cop when Kevin James delivers a line maybe more dramatically than any other line in the whole movie. He says, everyone deserves a birthday card on their birthday. Where does that come from? Is that brought up earlier in the movie? Yeah. When? When she originally says, Amy? Amy is the character? Yes. When Amy originally says that, uh, but nobody remembers to give a birthday card on Black Friday to me or something like that. Something along those, along uh, those lines. And then, so it, it, it is set up. It okay. is set up pretty, pretty well throughout the story. Because that line made me want to punch myself in the face. I always thought that you liked emotional scenes, but I guess you don't. Don't show me a letter. Don't show me a quippy birthday card message with without any voiceover and just you just leave it on screen like I got to sit here for 10 seconds and read this dumbass note. So you liked uh, Michael Pena's narration of his card? I love the voice of Michael Pena. The note is hilariously written. He signs it Love Dennis. It is a, a wonderful denouement to his character. It deserves this point. There is a reason why I left out one particular wording in that question, which is used in the storyline. Because I think the use of the card in the storyline is better in Paul Blart. But I think you're right. I really like my Michael Pena. I like his voiceover narration. I like his postcard from Mexico. Point, observe and report. Category 19. The fourth of twin movie specific categories is which movie has the worst health condition for the mall cop to be able to live their life and do their job. I'll let you answer this one. We're talking about Paul Blart's hypoglycemia versus... Versus uh, Ronnie's, in Observe and Report, Ronnie's uh, bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder seems like a very difficult condition to live with. The, the funny thing is that uh, the medication that they have, which is clonazepam, a quick Google search told me that it's for a panic disorder. Not for bipolar. So, I mean, I think bipolar disorder, and I have no training or right probably to say anything, I think it can be treated by a number of drugs. Okay. I also read while I was researching the medicine that when mixed with alcohol, this drug can lead to slow breathing, death, paranoia, and suicidal tendencies. It can cause memory impairment. This is the drug that uh, Ronnie is taking in Observe and Report. Paul Blart has hypoglycemia. Hypoglycemia can lead to seizures and a coma. You see him fall many times throughout the movie. You see him fail many times throughout the movie. And the effects of alcohol, however, may have been exaggerated in Paul Blart's hypoglycemia. So, Michael, which movie did it better? Which movie has 
what is the worst health condition for the mall cop to be able to live their life and do their job? I mean, for a podcast that focuses on fun, I feel like bipolar disorder is a very serious condition to consider. I mean, hypoglycemia is also a real and diagnosable condition that like causes people pro- real problems in their life. But it's, it is kind of odd how it's played for laughs. I think we've come a long way in, you know, talking about a a lot of different things in society, but maybe none so far as how much more comfortable we are talking today about mental health care, about how we should be proactive in in taking care of our mental health. Therapy is is not something to be uh, ashamed of. Uh, I have seen a therapist for a number, number of years. It's been a huge, huge help, and it's made my life so much better. But, you know, for, for 2009, we're talking about Observer Report. Ronnie's mental health is not made fun of. It's uh, one of the few things that I think is not a joke in the film. And, and I think that, that that is admirable. And bipolar disorder, uh, I would imagine, is kind of a debilitating uh, condition to deal with. And again, not having a ton of information at my fingertips here. All of the medications that you would take for bipolar disorder have intense side effects. So your very serious question on this very fun podcast would lead me to say that Ronnie has a greater struggle ahead of him dealing with his bipolar disorder versus Mr. Paul Blart's hypoglycemia. But, you know, everybody's uh, medical condition should be taken seriously and should be attended to so that they can live the most healthy and uh, fulfilling life possible. I'm happy to give this point to observe and report because I actually don't know what the correct answer is. Paul Blart probably makes too much fun of hypoglycemia, whereas uh, observe and report doesn't really dwell deeply into what Ronnie's actually going through. But the reason I wanted to bring up observe and reports bipolar disorder is because, as I said earlier, I think the only thing that makes this very difficult to watch movie, observe and report, somewhat watchable, is when you look at the lens of this guy has some serious mental issues. Between the paranoia, the suicidal tendencies, and the possibility of death when mixed with alcohol, this can be a very serious thing for a person. And when he goes off the medication in the movie, I think that's when the worst stuff happens to him. It's not just a heartwarming comedy. It is a cautionary tale. Point, observe, and report, Michael. Put it on the board. All right, that's the end of all the categories, Michael. Before we get into the final tally, let's recap real quick. Ready? Ready. Category one, which movie won the release date? Paul Blart. Category two, which movie won the box office? Mr. Paul Blart. Category three, which movie has the better title? Paul Blart, (laughs) Mall Cop. Category four, which movie has the better leading actor? Observe and Report. Seth Rogen, Ace Up My Sleeve. Oh, okay, okay. Category five, which movie has the best rest of the cast? Observe and Report. Category six, which movie has the best, best scene? Observe and Report. Category seven, which movie has the best title drop? No points awarded. Category eight, the best music moment slash needle drop? Observe and Report. Category nine, the best director? Also, Observe and Report. Category ten, best cinematography? Paul Mart Ball Cop. What do you say? Paul Blart Mall Cop. <laughs> Was that intentional, what you just said before that? Oh my God, you really don't like this movie. 
Category 11, best quote slash best dialogue. Observe and report. Category, it's, it's a really well-written movie. The scenes are really well-written. Category 12, which movie gets the Good Time at the Movies Award? Paul Plart, not Schindler's List. Category 13, the Banana Peel Award. Paul Blart. Category 14, best comeback slash insult. Observe and report. Category 15, the best stooge. Straight man or woman. Observe and report. Going forward, can we call the Straight Man Award the Ray Liotta Award for best straight man or woman? In honor of Liotta? Yeah. Mm, Sure. Yeah, I like Liotta. We can do that. Category 16, which movie has the better raffle prize vehicle smashing through the glass and escaping the mall scene? Observe and report. Category 17, which movie has the better quirky transportation for the main character? Paul Blart. Category 18, which movie has the better card given or received by the main character? Observe and report. Category 19, which movie has the worst Health condition for the mall cop to be able to live their life and do their job. Observe and report. Do the tally. I think it's going to be observe and report. What are the, what are the numbers? What are the totals, Michael? All right. With a total of 11 points, observe and report wins this episode of Hollywood versus Hollywood. With Paul Blart getting seven points. Seven to 11 Observer Report is our champion. This is highly irregular. I think I, I don't think people will like this. I haven't been this proud since Red Planet won. Both both movies have some cringy moments. I think Observe and Report's cringe is character driven, whereas Paul Blart is uh, is that unnecessary cringe that is trademark of Happy Madison movies. I think these both these movies are super fun to watch. And what I love about them is that they're under 90 minutes long and they go by quickly. 90 minutes is the perfect length for a, a film and also a podcast. So since we've blown way, 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 way past that, I think we should wrap this up. Are malls going to be around for that much longer, you think? They're already not around. Yeah. All right. Signing off from this podcast with Observe and Report taking He's the championship. inconsolable. Observe and Report taking the championship on this episode of the Hollywood versus Hollywood podcast. This is HT with my co-host. Michael, he was happy to be here. I was happy to be here. Have a nice day. Thank you for listening to the Hollywood vs. Hollywood podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. And connect with us on Instagram at Hollywood VS Pod. <laughs>